0: Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Craft. For a long time, the word has been pushed to the periphery of the design world. It was condescendingly thought of as humble and quaint. But thanks in part to the efforts of craft organizations, that has very much been changing. Craft has now become associated not with homeliness, but with the highest forms of the discipline, creeping its way into the lexicon of luxury fashion and architecture too. In the pod today are two people who are helping the public engage with craft's new identity.
1: I'm Hugo MacDonald, a design curator and critic.
0: And I'm Natalie Melton, the creative director at the Crafts Council. Hugo Macdonald is a design critic and curator. He is the resident curator of the design section at the Milan Contemporary Art Fair and this year has curated the inaugural Harwood Biennial titled Useful Beautiful – Why Craft Matters. Hugo is the former brand director of Ilsa Crawford Studio and design editor of Monocle. Natalie Melton joined the Crafts Council as Creative Director in January 2019 and has spent more than a decade working in craft. She was co-founder and, until last year, Managing Director of The New Craftsman, which curates, commissions and sells unique contemporary objects rooted in craftsmanship and narrative and made by makers from across the British Isles.
1: So, Natalie, I am curating this exhibition at Harvard House outside Leeds called Useful Beautiful Why Craft Matters and it's been quite a strange journey for me actually my background was much more design and architecture um, not to say that they're different disciplines at all they're porous and in the years that I've been writing about design and architecture I've certainly noticed that craft has become a part of that conversation and uh, and it's been gathering pace. So when I was approached to come up to Harvard and see what a craft exhibition might be like there, I gave quite a lot of thought to what craft means today. Mm-hmm. You are in a very good position to <laughs> reflect on that through years of experience working in the field of art and craft mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. particularly. But I, I'm interested to hear from you If my observation that craft is sort of creeping into wider discussions today, is something that you've noticed as well.
2: Yes, absolutely. So my um, love affair with craft began probably more than a decade ago and in part was a sort of tactical pursuit um, I was working in in art sponsorship um, and what we had noticed was that all the money was going to contemporary art and um, museums but virtually no money I mean really like the loose change mm. was going to the craft world and yet it was the fashion brands that were sponsoring contemporary art and for most fashion and certainly luxury brands they're founded on the principles of craftsmanship so we couldn't understand why it was that they weren't interested in craft per se and wanted to kind of go where the sexy was Yeah. Um, so we thought well maybe we should be doing something to help people think about craft in a in a different way.
1: Why do you think craft had got into that position? And I'm aware that when I talk about craft I use the term very broadly. Um, but people's perception of craft really, why do you think it's still not deemed or wasn't deemed as sexy?
2: I I I I don't know is the honest answer. I think perhaps other um Areas of the creative industries had perhaps been quicker to, to think about how they position themselves to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And I think craft is, by its very nature, quite, you know, a solitary activity, quite quiet, quite self-contained um, sometimes, and perhaps, um, you know, and, and, and has a very strong community of interest of craft enthusiasts and perhaps the the desire to reach beyond that didn't exist in the way that perhaps design had thought it needed to reach beyond its own community and, and, and appeal to a wider audience. So I think maybe it was just that craft was quite happy in its own space. Um,
1: Introspective is something that quite a lot of people yeah,
2: yeah. describe.
1: The world of craft as. And what I've been interested by putting together this exhibition um, is whenever I say that I'm doing an exhibition about contemporary craft, people sort of look a little blankly and say, oh, how lovely. In, <laughs> <laughs> imagining um, lovely hand whittled spoons and things. Um, I'm very quick to then point out that actually, craft in, to a lot of people is the physical object, but actually in my understanding it doesn't really describe the physical thing it's not even really the process I think Um, as I've sort of grappled with what craft is I've come round to thinking that maybe it's the knowledge that goes into the process
2: yeah it's the it's it's the act of making and the understanding that I think informs the object that differentiates craft Yes, perhaps. And I think when you speak to somebody who defines themselves as a maker or a craftsman, it's the richness of the dialogue that they're having with the object and the material that really brings it to life. And I think one of the joys for all that, you know, craft perhaps has been introspective, actually, when you engage a maker in conversation about their work, then it's usually the most extraordinary conversation you can have because there's so much Knowledge, richness, insight in whatever it is they're putting their energies into, and sharing that with people is a real joy.
1: It's very interesting. Um, <clears throat> the communication around craft, I think, has been lacking. Um, craft exhibitions, to a certain extent, have tended to focus very heavily on process. And one of the things that I was very keen to avoid with the exhibition at Harvard was just putting beautiful objects in rooms and then describing how they were made, Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. where the
1: subtitle of the exhibition, Why Craft Matters, Mm. is the thread that ties a very diverse group of exhibitors together. Mm -hmm. In each case, I've asked them why craft matters to them and why craft matters today, Mm -hmm. and have a 150-word quote as the exhibition text for all of the exhibitors. And it is fascinating how, just like you are saying, when you engage a maker in a discussion, they're talking about life, they're not talking about process, yeah. and they're talking about the values that are embedded in craft and craftsmanship, which are the discussion topics that we're all talking about today, Yeah. whether it's resourcefulness, repair, how to lead a more sustainable life. These are things that are sort of baked into craft and i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that actually craft isn't just something sort of interesting to have as a sort of side topic in life i think there is so much that we can learn from it
2: yeah
1: yeah in a better way
2: yes i absolutely agree with you and i think you know when people um you know uh, uh, are interested in why craft is becoming more important. And there's the obvious answers, which is that, you know, we're in a very kind of digital age and people resort to the tactility and they like the kind of um, haptic quality of craft. And mm. I think that now is a kind of, you know, quite a well, well-versed justification of craft. But I think what we're getting to now, as you point out, is that there is a much more um fundamental potency to what craft can offer us in an age where we're questioning all sorts of fundamentals about how we, how we live our lives and the way that we want to live our lives. And I think when you do start to uncover the values of craftspeople, then they point to a kind of life that I think feels increasingly appealing. It's not always about the dollar. Mm. It's about the relationship that you have with the world around you. It's about um, the, the 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 well-being that a good job, well done can generate for you. Um, it's about pride and passion in your work and engagement with um, all sorts of different things. And I think we're starting to, you know, the kind of craft trend isn't mm. going away. And I think it's because the more people understand about craft the more they're recognizing that it's got a much more profound influence on our lives and perhaps we initially imagined it was just you know it's nice to touch stuff yes less. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's nice to have lo- nice things in your house to buy once and not multiple times because you've bought really well but mm. I think there is something much more deep-rooted that's driving this growing interest in
1: craft. Absolutely I'm interested to hear you have recently become the creative director at the Crafts Council and it's, well, I'm curious to find out how the Crafts Council is positioning itself to help this communication or reach a wider audience, essentially. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose I, I
2: joined the Crafts Council at the start of this year. I've worked in the craft sector for for a long time. I think... Um, I'm still discovering on a daily basis the full scope of what the Crafts Council does and how embedded it is into all the different facets of the kind of craft ecosystem in this in this country. And that's complex and layered, and it is a difficult message to communicate. So grappling with that feels like a really exciting, exciting challenge. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, I think... At and part and part of the challenge is how do you help people understand what a what a complex ecosystem it is that it's not just one thing. And yes. you know, I think in 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 London, one of the things that um, the Crafts Council is best known for is is Collect, which is a um, fair that we just had at the Saatchi Gallery, um, and that's an international show, forty five galleries from around the world showcasing the very best in 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 craft from across the globe, and it is that sort of pinnacle of fine made objects but if you go to I was in Coventry last week um, meeting community groups who use making as a way of connecting across Um, different communities across different nationalities across different faiths um, and as a way of really forging really powerful and meaningful links in a city that's had its fair share of hardship over the years but actually has its its foundations in making and I think there's a real you know the palpable energy and pride in um, that that ability to continue to make and use that as a way of connecting with different kinds of people. So, you know, what we've got to try and do is find ways to connect the two from one side to the other um, and make it clear that, you know, making is for everybody in a myriad of different ways, shapes and forms and that there's a real joy to kind of engage in that.
1: Somebody, one of the exhibitors... At Harvard said that craft has a great healing capacity, mm. not just in terms of um, being resourceful and literally repairing things, but it has this ability, which is exactly what you've just described, to build bonds between people mm. and communities. And I wonder I mean, governmental support for craft is not particularly forthcoming. Um, the Crafts Council does a fantastic education report, mm-hmm. which highlights how craft is sort of seeping out of mm-hmm. education yeah. and that yep. the sort of ramifications of that are quite drastic. If we have generations who grow up who don't know how to make things, um, what are the consequences there? How can we get government to take it seriously, do you think? Um I think, I mean, we published a
2: manifesto coming up for five years ago, our, um, our, our Future is in the Making, which was an education manifesto, which was really designed to be a rallying call to impress upon the government um, that uh, we are uh, in, a, in a state of rapid decline in terms of education, creative education in our schools, um, and what the implications for that are. And um, I'm sad to say that five years down the line we're in a worse situation, not a better situation, even though um, so much research and evidence suggests that, um, you know, giving children and young people a creative education helps improve their life chances in so many different ways so a, a really significant study just came out in the in in the US where they looked at the impact of um creative education on kids from very um sort of deprived communities and they had a control group and a and, and a group who were given extra given access to 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 creative education and i think on every measure then it improved their life chances the way that it kind of shapes their ability to think creatively and laterally and teamwork and all of the, you know, skills that we want our children to leave school with are significantly improved by creativity. And yet it is not seen as a fundamental part of our education system. And that's an absolute tragedy. And in many ways, we've lost a generation who aren't getting that creative education. So part of our mission now is to see whether we can start with the very early years to try and instill that so that we don't um, see that decline kind of going going further. And the earlier you can instill the value of creativity and impress it upon the parents as well. Um, then the more chance you've got that the children will carry those creative skills through but it 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 makes no sense to me that we are a country that is um celebrated across the gro- globe for our creativity um and yet it is not something that is part and parcel of our everyday education and that's a big challenge for us for us all for anybody who works in the kind of creative industries mm.
1: I mean, something that's struck me and the journey that I've had in putting this exhibition together is the makers involved in the exhibition always say there is on the one hand a very dismal outlook for craft in the country. But on the other hand, there is a massive surge of sort of optimism in that people are really interested by it and are taking craft Seriously, in a way that quite a lot of the, particularly the older makers, feel like they have struggled to get people to take it seriously, take them seriously with what they do. Yeah. To see that what they do is more than a hobby. Yeah. And that there are fantastic, well, business opportunities as well, but also um, this sort of wider capacity to forge strong communities through what they do. And. Everybody's been very keen to say, you know, please don't just do an exhibition about the death of craft skills. Yeah. <laughs> because it's such it's only one part of a much bigger story.
2: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the, the the exciting thing, as you say, is that um, within the education system, then the sort of um, baking of creativity into the curriculum seems to be um sadly a bit of a lost, lost cause at the moment which we mustn't stop trying to change but at the same time participation and engagement in creative activities continues to grow so we are um, a, a nation that, that admires and appreciates and celebrates and loves getting stuck in and getting involved and you know we have wonderful things like um, you know we run a programme called Hey Clay which is about opening up ceramic studios across the country so that people and have a go at playing with clay, which for so many of us is our first route into making yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, and we have hundreds of people or the hundreds of organisations that participate in that every every year and that continues to grow. So, you know, we've got to find, we've all got to find ways to ensure that there is access and opportunity for kind of creative experiences. And as you say, it's not all a, a sort of sad sob story Um You know, there are... Extraordinary people having huge success with what you would consider to be kind of dying crafts or very traditional skills. So you think about um, somebody like um, Robin Robin Wood, who is a sort of exceptional woodworker. Um, but actually, you have
1: to be with that surname, wouldn't you? It, you, you
2: absolutely <laughs> would have to be. And there's a you know there's a whole book about people who have the surname of the thing that they do, which <laughs> I would love to write. But um, you know, he's he's what 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 was the sideline making tools for him to then use as part of his making process has become a global business so out of his studio in 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 the peak district he's now making thousands and thousands of tools that are being shipped around the world because what he's done through the power of social media has built up this extraordinary following people have huge admiration for his skills as a wood turner. and then he's turned his hand to making tools so that other people can make with his tools and he's created this really loyal and devoted following of people right around the world and so you know that, that decline can be reversed you know we don't have to feel as though mm. we're reaching the end end of industries I think with um, imagination and determination and real passion which the craft community has in spades um,
0: then there are opportunities to kind of give second lives to things absolutely you're listening to thought starters recorded in the pod at white city place in conversation today design curator and critic hugo mcdonald and crafts council creative director natalie melton
1: coming from Collect as well it's at the other end of the spectrum Um, it's fascinating seeing how much has sold Mm -hmm. very quickly Mm -hmm. and I in the years that I've visited Collect just don't remember those red dots being quite so heavy on the second day and who are they who are the buyers do you think is that is it a sort of different market
2: I think, um, I mean, it's the first year that I've been part of the Cross Council and sort of seen Collect from the inside. Um, But I think that over time, I think the more craft has sort of bled out into the design and the art world um, the more the real kind of enthusiasts are recognising that actually if you come to a fair that is principally around the crafted object, you're going to see the very best of the crafted objects. So people whose interest might have been piqued in ceramics by going to freeze are actually recognising that now to come to collect, then they're going to get a variety and a quality of ceramics that they not going to necessarily get at an art fair and so i think we're seeing audiences um, and collectors of different kinds coming into the fair i think that um you know what's been really interesting over the last sort of 24 hours is it's it truly is a global it's a global fair you know forty five galleries from right around the world and the audience is reflecting that so it's a very very international audience that's been coming through the doors.
1: Um, you mentioned earlier that there are um, several acquisitions from institutions, which I find interesting because it sort of signals a real seriousness. Yeah, coming back to really where we began about this fact that craft has suffered to some degree sort of different periods from seeming um, a bit too humble or um, that it's sort of the slightly lower sibling of art or design. Yeah. But the fact that global institutions coming to collect, buying pieces for their collections would suggest that actually it's not the case really
2: yeah I think um, I mean I think I think it has always been a place for people for, for, for institutions to come and select and um, and acquire work um, I I think it's um, early signs feel it, that there's a lot of that going on this year and I think also you know you can't deny the impact of something like the Loewe Craft Prize and, and, and what that's done to re- really elevate the reputation of craft globally and of the 20 odd artists that have been shortlisted for the prize this year seven of them are showing at collect so there's a lot of red dots on their work and i think you know (laughs) it's i think with, with with all of these things then there needs to be a kind of um echo chamber of um credibility you know, and it's sometimes it's not just one thing that seals the reputation of a particular artist. It's, you know, it, it happens over a long period of time. So, you know, I know um, Andrea Walsh quite well, who's one of the. Um, shortlisted artist for the Loewe Craft Prize this year and I know how hard she's worked over a number of years and it's you know a whole series of moments in her career that build towards that kind of global recognition and it feels that at the moment the interest in what is happening within the craft world from people from outside of the craft world is really helping um Sort of cement the significance and the quality of the work that's being produced by these artists. Mm.
1: So that's one end of the spectrum, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you have the abuse of the word craft by branding and marketing teams. Gate. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Your handcrafted <laughs> vegan sausage roll yeah. and Greg's. Uh, is that something that's damaging, or is it actually?
0: No, I think in it's all
1: good. The more, the merrier. I
2: think, um, yeah, I, I kept thinking that at some point the sort of branding world would get bored of things being handcrafted and then I stood in my sister's shower the other day and she had four different shampoo bottles by four different major um, sort of international conglomerates and they had all been handcrafted. <laughs> and you just saying, yeah, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, you know, the time that it takes to develop a product that you're rolling out globally, then, you know, the kind of artisanal shampoo or the handcrafted shampoo is probably going to be with us for a little while longer and there ain't much that's handcrafted in those bottles. (laughs) Um, Can we talk about, let's talk about the show. I want to ask you some questions. So how did you go about choosing the people that you did? Uh, I just picked the ones that I
1: liked. (laughs) 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 wanted to get a broad mix to well partly because Harvard's audience is broad Mm -hmm. Um, it actually sort of sits at quite an interesting nexus where it is located um, I can't remember the number of population that is within an hour's drive of Harvard but it's fairly huge Yeah, and they have fantastic um, visitor numbers so what I wanted to do was try and get a wide a mix as possible to um, surprise people who would be coming to the house not even aware that there was an exhibition on mm-hmm. and open their eyes to the fact that craft exists in everything from books to pans to knives to um, pairs of jeans to ballet shoes to you know you name it mm-hmm. craft can go into it yeah. in its approach mm-hmm. and with that in mind i really sort of wanted to go far and wide both geographically and in terms of sort of material and in terms of the age of the exhibitors as well we've got a couple of graduates who are really excellent sort of exciting people who are pushing their materials forward Mm -hmm. or using sort of innovative techniques to Mm -hmm. really experiment Mm -hmm. and then we've got very traditional practitioners like Hilary Burns who weaves baskets from her own willow farm, mm-hmm. which is the other end of the country. Exactly, mm-hmm. and a, sort of precisely what people probably expect to see in a craft exhibition. But her story is every bit as fascinating as Jada Ford, the. Glass blower from Manchester University who recorded the sound of his breath when he breathes into the rod that he blows the glass through and using CAD software turned it into a mould into which he then blows the glass yeah. into. So oh God, the vases really. are in the shape of the breath in which they're blown. Oh wow. And it is I mean just something extraordinarily poetic about these yeah. There's a, there's a,
2: I love the, the alchemy and the curiosity totally. of the younger generation and their interest in how they can really subvert notions of craft I think it's very exciting.
1: Absolutely and talking to him you know I wondered when I first read about him is this just a gimmick mm-hmm. um, and called him and said you know why, why would you do something like this mm. and he straight back to what you were saying earlier about these conversations, he said that he is very interested to get as close as he possibly can to the material at the point at which he's making something. Mm -hmm. And this was just something that he realised was going to be the embodiment of him in the act of making Mm -hmm. as a physical form. Yeah. Which, in some ways, is very egotistical, but at the same time, is a really interesting um, sort of psychological, philosophical... Expression.
2: Well, it goes straight to the heart of what so many people find fascinating about making, as well, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. So, pulling together 26 different people was actually no hardship at all. I could have filled every room in the house 10 times over. Getting as broad and diverse a mix was key, and I hope it's successful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was
2: there? I think. Um, I mean, obviously, you've approached it from a curatorial point of view, but you are also a writer and a very beautiful one. That oh, that you. sense of you know, kind of the words from 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 people. Was there anything that surprised you about the way they expressed their relationship to making? How
1: eloquent to a point, all yeah. of them are, and I quite early on had this idea to really put the exhibition text in their words rather than in mine because I wanted them to have a platform to talk about why they do what they do and not just being asked to describe it Uh, and I wasn't really sure how the process of of interviewing them essentially and then giving them their words back to them how that was going to go Mm -hmm. and they all were so fascinating and eloquent and clear and had done all of the thinking, it wasn't as if it was a great big surprise for them to sort of work out why they do what they do and why it matters at all. But, which I'm thrilled about, they said, you know, it's quite rare that that is the focus on an exhibition in craft. A lot of them have exhibited far and wide across the country. They say that people um, tend to focus far more on the process and not on... The context or the contextual relevance. Yeah. And that this is a wonderful opportunity in a sort of museum attraction, stately home, yeah. to bring messages about craft that are simple and powerful to the heart of the public. Yes.
2: And I think that's part of that shift of sort of education, isn't it? Exactly. Where, you know, people's appeal is initially through the the making process. But over time, you can build on, build on that and deepen that connection. And I think I'm really excited to see the show because it feels like that's where you've really tried to take it.
1: Fingers crossed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so... Harwood is a historic property. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the
1: context? Indeed. I mean, it was fairly mind-blowing visiting it for the first time uh, over a year ago. It is a late Georgian house uh, built in the 1780s, which is actually a very particular, interesting point in time, really, as the Industrial Revolution was just about to start. Mm -hmm. And... Jane Marriott, the director of the Harvard House Trust, said to me when I first went up there, she said, you know, it's interesting. You could very easily say that every single thing in this house was crafted. It was built and designed at a time when there were no machines. And so it is a fascinating repository of craft, craft heritage. It has an incredible interior design scheme by Robert Adam and Chippendale's largest furniture collection, and the family, the Lassells family, who commissioned the house and lived in it until very recently, for generations have been very interesting collectors of unusual things at their time. Uh, They commissioned young Turner to come and paint a series of watercolours of the landscape. have an incredible collection of serve porcelain Ah. and i mean it really just layer upon layer of craftsmanship exists in the house as it stands i mean one of the challenges instantly that i thought about and had spent a long time trying to work out how we could possibly insert an exhibition into these multi-layered rooms that are beautiful but visually quite busy mm. and that balance of introducing something that is clearly part of an exhibition but not disrupting people's experience of the house itself.
2: Yeah, are you taking anything away? Have things come out to we insert new things? Have
1: I mean each room has had to be taken um from scratch really. So in some cases we have pretty much emptied furniture from the entire room. In other cases what we're introducing is something quite small and It fits into the room and the story of the room. So, for instance, in the old kitchens, we have um, Netherton Foundry, which is Uh. a lovely um, family-spun iron cookware company in Shropshire. And they are showing the process of how you make a pan surrounded by 500 old existing iron and copper pans that have been used in the house throughout history. So there's this sort of quite nice dialogue between what we're putting in there that is sort of a continuation of a story of what exists there already. Mm. And really our goal with the exhibition is obviously to tell these interesting, powerful stories about craft, but also to help wake up the house in some way as well Mm -hmm. and really putting objects in rooms that make sense for what the function of that room would have been Mm -hmm. um, has been sort of quite an, a nice framework for the exhibition. So we have a bookbinder in one of the libraries, and we have a paper artist in another one of the libraries. We have a beautiful um textile in one of the bedrooms and it's sort of this implicit and in places explicit sort of connection between what exists there and what we're introducing. Um is I hope a way to sort of tie the exhibition into the house without disrupting it too much
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how long is it going
1: to be there for it opens on the 23rd of march and runs into the 1st of september so we're sort of programming it at certain junctures throughout its run with a symposium that will be quite an industry focused mm-hmm. um series of talks and lectures and mm-hmm. workshops and mm-hmm. then we're having a, a festival weekend with hole and corner and in the summer which will be a little bit more for the middle-aged makers who like to drink beer and whittle spoons at the same time. When you say festivals, <laughs> is
2: that camping? Can people come and yes, camp on the ground? it's going to be a
1: camping weekend that is sort of makers' workshops during the day and then, I think, a festival at night. Fun. They've done something similar in Port Elliot, yeah. which is very popular. Yeah. And I think Hull and Corner are sort of developing their events programming in that direction. So, all of these sort of little partnerships with other people who are trying to do interesting things in the subject of craft and how you can sort of connect that and turn it into a movement beyond just an exhibition.
2: Yeah, and I I think you're right that there's such an exciting um, sort of series of people whose passion for craft, albeit if they're coming from different, different. Fields um, takes it beyond its com- confines and generates something something new. Absolutely, and I think it's um, really exciting to see that you're sort of embracing all those different elements at, at, at Harwood.
1: And it is the first of what will become a biennial exhibition. So the commitment from Harwood to really be a an anchor and a platform for contemporary cultural programming outside of London, I think. Is significant and really exciting. Yeah.
0: That was design curator and critic Hugo MacDonald and Crafts Council creative director Natalie Melton. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a Dianico project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by Antonio Fernandez, and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at WhiteCityPlace.com or on Twitter or Instagram at WhiteCityPlace or shoot us an email at podcast at WhiteCityPlace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast and Stitcher. Give us a rating, write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time.